Hi, and welcome to my podcast. On this episode, I'll be discussing briefly the topics of traditions, things when they're incomplete, and also rust. Thanks for tuning in. This year, I made a Christmas pudding, which is a thing that is really just a bunch of ingredients, uh, and then suddenly it's a dough. You pour that dough into what's called a pudding vessel, which is a thing that I didn't even know existed and realized that I desperately wanted until I heard those two words put together. Uh, anyway, you, you put that dough into the pudding vessel, and then you cover the pudding vessel with a floured cloth, and then you tie it on there with twine, um, and then you boil it for several hours. One fun thing about making a Christmas pudding is that you get to use all of these words in an old and surprising context. Pudding, vessel, boil. It feels like a great adventure into the past, but in the end you're making a cake, you're using a pan, and you're steaming it. Uh, One other thing is that you can talk yourself into the idea that you're making something traditional. This has a lot of appeal to certain types of people. You can tell yourself that you're restoring something ancient to its rightful place, Um, and you can tell yourself a little story about how important tradition is and the wisdom of preceding generations. And if you're a certain type of person, you make a gesture at Chesterton's fence. One thing, though, that you're sort of ignoring in all of uh, that storytelling is that there's also a tradition of not making Christmas puddings. There's several generations of people who thought about doing it and decided, "Mm, nah, not this year. Uh, And they've got their own wisdom, which you might also have an opportunity to unearth. Uh, All of which is to say that when you've boiled the pudding for several hours, and then you've aged it in the cool of your pantry for a few weeks, and then you bring it out and boil it again for several more hours, um, and then you arrange it on a tray with evergreen twigs, turn out all the lights in your house, pour some warmed up brandy on top, and set it on fire. Once you've done all that and appreciated the aesthetics and basked in the traditional glow, At the end, what you have is something that tastes slightly worse than a sheet cake you could have bought at the grocery store. You've done something that most reasonable people decided 100 years ago wasn't worth doing. And maybe second-guessing that tradition of not doing it in favor of the older tradition didn't make you a better person, um, didn't put you in touch with something eternal and unchanging. It basically just left you with half a fruitcake that eventually you will have to throw away. A third thing here is that once you've tied the cloth on, there's no peaking. And you boil this pudding in a big old pot with the lid on, so even opening up to look at the thing that's preventing you from peaking at all is a little dangerous uh, because of the steam. Even though the thing is going from raw to cooked in a single, albeit five-hour-long step, it's completely opaque to you. There's no oven light to turn on to peep in. There's no checking on it. There's no poking it with a thermometer or a toothpick. And while I was doing this, I kind of wondered, is this the sort of thing that I like? Uh, I guess the alternative is something like cooking an egg, where you're watching it cook. And first it's raw and clear, um, and then it starts to turn white and get solid. And then it's sunny side up, um, and it's browning around the edges, and then, you know, etc. As it's cooking, you're watching it turn from what you started with into what it's going to be. And there's, you know, visible progress, I guess which is really different, okay, for boiled eggs. Okay, that's different. Uh, They're more like a pudding. Um, And of course, as always, there's like a third thing in this family, which is um, how barbers experience haircuts. 
So like a customer comes in with long hair and the barber gets to see up close the process of turning a shaggy haircut into a fresh haircut. But they never really get to see the slow process of that haircut growing out and unsheveling. Uh, do you think that's weird for them? They mostly experience hair as something that gets cut and not as something that grows. I don't know. Sound off in the comments. I guess these all seemed like more profound thoughts when I had them the other day and put them on my list of podcast topics. Um, so let me uh, assure you here that I am not going to spend the next five minutes talking about whether I prefer the aesthetic experience of frying or boiling eggs. Let's uh, change gears entirely. Let's talk about rust. Here's the thing about rust. Rust is entirely predictable and mostly preventable. When you see rust somewhere, it's because someone knew something would rust, but they didn't care enough to do something about it. Sometimes that's because whatever is rusty just wasn't supposed to last long enough to get really rusty. But other times it's just because nobody bothered to paint it. I encounter rust here in the city, mostly in the built environment. There's a lot of rusty infrastructure here, and it's not the cool Richard Serra site-specific sculptural steel developing a stable oxidized patina over time. No, I'm talking mostly about concrete stuff that also has some exposed steel, and now there's an ugly seeping rust stain on the thing. Sometimes it's a fence, sometimes it's a bridge. Mostly it's something hastily constructed out of whatever was cheapest, made by people who won't have to look at it very often or designed by people who were mostly interested in the volume or the mass of the thing as opposed to the surface area. And I, I gotta say, this is one of the most depressing things to me. Every time I notice something stained with rust, it's stained in an entirely predictable and preventable way. I think about like a meeting where some guys are in an office and they're looking at a blueprint and a spreadsheet. And one guy says to the group, uh, is there some way we can shave the cost of this a little? And another guy is like, yeah, we can do that. But what'll happen is that after about a year, it'll start to look rusty. And the thousands of people who pass by it every day are going to have to think about inexorable forces of decay. And there will also be this physical, visible evidence just sitting there that we didn't really care what this thing looked like, and that we didn't care about making something beautiful or nice or even not unpleasant. And is that the kind of thing we want to put out in this world? Is that why we have this job? And then some third guy like adjusts the numbers on the spreadsheet and they all looked at it and they're like, yeah, all right, I guess we're okay with it. Even more commonly, when I see something rusting or falling apart, I wonder if there's someone in charge of that thing and what their job is like. Is there a guy for whom that's his bridge and he goes out early in the morning in the fog and first light, maybe with a crisp frost still on the ground and he walks the length and breadth of it? like a farmer might walk his fields, learning every ridge and crevice? Does he write a little report about how his bridge is doing and every year submit a request to his superiors that he be permitted to clean it up, asking for a budget for some paint and some patching? He's got a long-term plan to add some planters, to replace the chain link with wrought iron, and eventually to commission a local artist to carve a decorative frieze. And every year, his bosses tell him, no, there's no money for that. We're repaving something somewhere else. Here, what we've got for you are these 12 rusty jersey barriers. Make do with these. Does that guy just hate his job as much as he loves his ugly, decaying bridge? The bridge that he's responsible for that is just slowly falling apart on his watch? Uh, no, that guy doesn't exist. Nobody's in charge of bridges. Nobody cares. 
It's all just people in offices looking at spreadsheets and contractors driving in from the suburbs to drop off Jersey barriers at some nameless bridge according to the work order. And it's only us, the people who have to look at this rust, that have to think about the bridge we walk over or under every day and think about how it's visibly decaying. Oh, sorry for what's turning out to be kind of a depressing podcast and sorry that it's gone on so long. Uh, It's midwinter here now, and these are kind of the circles that I'm thinking in. I take a train through sunless, gray, wintry days down rusty tracks to an office where I look at spreadsheets and try not to make ugly decisions. Still, uh, the other thing about rust is that if you do care enough, you can do something about it. And that's actually immensely satisfying. Uh, Taking the rust off something and putting a fresh coat of paint on something old that's still usable... That's great. There's a whole genre of YouTube videos that sometimes feels like the only thing that makes sense in the world. If you're feeling kind of low, uh, go ahead and type tool restoration into the search bar and you'll get a bunch of videos that are pretty much all just rust removal, uh, cleaning, and old stuff being coming new again. Um, I'm participating in this in my limited way uh, when I work on the old car that sits in my garage. A car that is slowly turning to dust um, that's visibly decaying on my watch. It's a losing rear guard action that I'm fighting, and I will just never get ahead of the rust. I'm making some progress in cleaning parts um, and replacing parts. And these are tasks that first required me to remove parts, which brings me to the third thing about rust, which is that before it turns stuff to dust, it kind of makes it sort of stronger. Rusty bolts and nuts are amazingly committed to staying where they are and decaying in place. They're on the couch and they're binging TV and they resist moving from that position as strongly as you or I might um, in the middle of winter. Sometimes trying to get them to move uh, breaks them uh, and that's frustrating and a little bit sad, but you can always, uh, I don't know, put a new bolt in if you break one. But wait, uh, as I'm editing this, I'm, I'm thinking about it now and Does this podcast actually all tie together? Are we watching the eggs of this world cook in front of us, turning cloudy and getting harder? And instead of like trying to hide this process by like covering it with a flowered cloth and aging it out of sight in the pantry in an effort to recapture some lost glory that's maybe not worth it, should we instead be trying to experience the world the way barbers experience haircuts? Like thinking about stuff that's gotten a bit shabby as an opportunity to make things new? Uh, I don't know. Maybe that doesn't really work. Uh, Well, that about does it for this episode of my podcast. Uh, Thanks for tuning in.